Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 189 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for tuning into the podcast and thanks for listening to the show. Now we're taking it stateside on this week's episode and we're chatting with Alex Clark, the founder and owner of the Knoxville Outdoor Tours Mountain Bike Guide Company. Alex is such a great guy. He brings more than just local knowledge and people skills when he is showing clients around his local trails. He is super stoked to be involved in the mountain bike community and industry. He truly loves riding bikes, meeting new people and guiding them around his local area. And with 150 plus miles of local single track, it's a pretty big area. His excitement for MTB and what the future holds uh, is it's just contagious. And I really believe, you know, you would have a blast of a time if you're on one of his guided tours, that is for sure. Now we chat to Alex about why he set up a mountain bike guide company. We also chat to him about how the COVID thing has affected his business and if he's stoked to see so many new people on the trails. We also get into new rider behaviours and awareness and if that maybe needs looked at with so many new faces popping up on these trails. We also chat to Alex about what he believes the future for mountain biking looks like and why trail building is such a great way to give back to your riding community. So without further ado, let's get Alex Clark on the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi Alex, welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How's things with you, sir? Yeah, hey, Gareth. Uh, good afternoon. It's, it's lunchtime here. Life is good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Can't wait to, to talk about bikes. No, you're awesome, man. It's always, always great to chat about bikes. And we'll get into things because you are uh, the owner of Knoxville Outdoor Tours, which is a, a mountain bike guiding company. Um, you're based in, are you just north of Atlanta there in Knoxville, are you? Yeah, that's that's kind of how you could think about it. Uh, we actually, I'm I'm here in eastern Tennessee, which is a uh, we share the same mountains as Western North Carolina, which you you're probably familiar with Pisgah National Forest. Oh, All right, North okay. Carolina. Yeah, so so very similar riding. Uh, we're just on the other side of those mountains, so we're we're in what's called the Appalachian Mountains, which is uh, northern Georgia, eastern Tennessee, western North Carolina. Uh, it's this little gem of the southeast uh, where it's very mountainous and, and we have uh, a moderate climate and uh, we get to ride bikes all year round. Yeah, man. Awesome. Yeah, I, d- I watched some of the footage from your guiding service and some images from that area and stuff. It looks absolutely gorgeous there. Yeah, man. It's it's really interesting whenever I'm, uh, you know, obviously we're guiding from from really all over. Uh, USA and everybody sit is is blown away about how how dense it is. So we've just got tons of greenery and and trees, and so it's a really unique experience to where it can be uh, you know, very hot outside, and then we get into into the woods and undercover, and it's five or ten degrees less, and so uh, it's really nice too because we we've got a lot of waterfalls. 
So it's just, mm. you know, your typical mountain stuff that uh, um, it's, it's really pretty. But we don't get the big views like, you know, you see in some of those other places where you can see for miles. Uh, yeah. So it's just a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like it. I like the uh, images I see of it and all. It's pretty cool, man. Definitely. Can you go for a swim in those waterfalls? Is there anywhere you can take a dip to cool off? Oh yeah, dude. That's that's one of my one of the best parts. So basically, <laughs> we have a lot of hidden hidden waterfalls and stuff. So we'll have a lot of hidden trail that will take you to a certain place. And uh, you know, especially once you get up into the mountains where there's less people, you can you got little watering holes and. Uh, you go on a long enough ride you bring a filter with you and you can actually filter your water out of that stuff and uh it's like a real adventure it's like you're backpacking except you got bikes which make it fun to go downhill it's great awesome man awesome what about wildlife there do you get bears or mountain lions or... so not really but we do have a lot of bears which is cool so uh we get a lot of black bears which are basically big babies so black bears are like they're pretty big i guess uh you're like a couple hundred pounds but they're super skittish, so you can mm. come up on one. They'll run away. Uh, but we get a lot of a lot of bear, a lot of uh, deer, turkeys, uh, and then dude, there's like so many squirrels here, an insane mm. amount of squirrels. You're 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 avoiding them all the time. But uh, yeah, it's pretty uh, vibrant around here, and uh, uh, yeah, like I said, real green and stuff. So it's it's kind of it's nice. Yeah, I remember I had um, the guys on from Kenya. I've had them on the, sh- the podcast a couple of times, and um, there's a real vibrant scene out there now, you know. But um, I was chatting to them cool. about the wildlife thing, and I was saying, like, do you use because a lot of the time, you know, they're cycling through national parks and stuff. Mm. So I'm saying to them, do, like, do you ever have to worry about lions and things like that? Is that a danger? And Simon says, no, the, the thing you have to worry about more is the goats. <laughs> Because a part is cool, you know, like <laughs> no, no, you know, come to come to Kenya, ride your bike through national parks, and get headbutt up by a goat. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy, but um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, how do you guys deal with it? You just don't carry bear spray and stuff, do you? Or not necessarily, uh, but. It's kind of different. The eastern U.S. and the western U.S. Uh, has, you know, like the wildlife's totally different. And yeah. out west, you know, you hear about Colorado and Utah. They that can get pretty sketchy out there. And they've got, um, you know, they've got bears, and they've, and especially if you go to the Pacific Northwest, there's a lot of like grizzly bears, which are yeah. the main ones, and they're super big and aggressive. Um, whereas here, everything's, you know, pretty pretty scared, and and uh, most of the places we're riding are. I don't know, not necessarily backcountry. And so they get a considerable amount of traffic. So you kind of have to go out of your way to, to come across wildlife in a lot of, a lot of cases, but it's also super cool when you, you know, I, one of my favorite parts of, of riding bikes is just being out in nature and stopping and, and watching the wildlife. You know, I'm not always full pin, full gas on the downhills. It's kind of fun to just be out in nature and, and hang out and drink a beer in the woods and kind of watch what's going on around you too. It's one of my favorite parts. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. You know, it's funny you say that because I remember asking my listeners one time the main reason they mountain biked. And for me, it's, it's kind of an adrenaline thing. You know what I mean? You get, you get fitness, but you get an adrenaline thing with it. And I'm kind of into those adrenaline type sports, but 
yeah. overwhelmingly like it was like something like 82% or something that I remember off the top of my head came back and said it was being in nature. That was the number one mm-hmm. reason. You know, which I kind of thought it would be, but not to that extent. You know, Gareth, that surprises me too. I mean, I, I think we've got a lot of new riders in the sport and it appears with with from what i'm seeing these new riders are chasing the adrenaline and you've got more gopro and and youtubers than ever that they're not it's it appears as if the content is about the riding not not the experience so yeah that that kind of surprises me i really thought the extreme sport mentality would be for most i thought i was kind of in the minority yeah, there you are. There you are. No, so it's interesting. But we'll get into that because I want to chat to you about kind of new riders, behaviors, awareness, and what you're seeing as far as because of the pandemic, people getting into the scene. We'll chat a little bit about that. And also, obviously, we'll chat about Knox Outdoors, your your guiding company. But um, just to give people a bit of a background, Alex, how did you get into mountain biking? Like, how did you find your love for the sport in the first place? Yeah, I did. So, uh, I went to university uh, here in Knoxville, Eastern Tennessee, and uh, growing up, it was uh, I kind of grew up in the outdoors, but in a different way. So I had a lot of family with with land, and so we did a lot of camping, um, and and like I was in the woods a lot, but it wasn't via bike, and mm-hmm. and so I came to a bigger city like Knoxville. And there was this cool culture of people that were got went in the woods and and were were riding their bikes in the woods, kind of like you were a kid again, right? Mm. And uh, it's such a simple form of activity that uh, you know can have so many benefits. And and basically, I was in university and had a friend that was into it, and uh, I got on Google like everybody else. This was probably like 2014, and. Uh, you know, mountain bike trails near me. And I, I found this little trail system and, and went out and it was great. It was awesome. Super hooked. And then I um, started out on my little hardtail, which I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I think people should do that. You know, mm. you kind of get, get the real essence of mountain biking. And uh, so it just kind of kept growing and kept growing. And I was finding friends out there that were my age. And so we'd connect and go on rides. And slowly and slowly that hobby got more and more serious. I tend to be an all or nothing guy. So if I don't like something, I'm done with it. But as soon as I like it, you know, I go all in. So before long, it was kind of like riding every day. And so now it's, it's turned into a business and, and me getting to help build some trails and, and, uh, kind of all in the, the, the local mountain bike network, uh, here of Knoxville. It's great. Yeah. Cool, man. And when you started out, what was the scene like? Have you seen it change a good bit since then? Yeah, man, I, I think I have. So and I call it old blood and new blood. So <laughs> you, you've got the, or, or you've got your OG trail builders, right? And these are, I think a lot of people can relate to like single speed hardtail or you're not cool. And <laughs> that was the, the culture. Like let's, let's build these super flat trails that go forever. And you know, let's drink a craft beer after. And so that's kind of what I came into. And, and I enjoyed it. Like I, you know, I, I'm not dissing on it. And then now as I've gotten older and, and my riding partners have gotten older, we, we actually have like real responsibility, but we want to give back to the trails. 
And so it's almost like a changing of the guard to where we need to be more accommodating for all these riders. So we're building more contemporary trails and, and actually building accesses closer to town because people don't want to drive 20 minutes out of town to go ride their bikes. You know, you're mm. kind of like trying to lower the barrier to entry if you can. And, yes. and um, I think that's an overwhelming shift from like the harder, the better to, well, we, it's not just super fun depending on how hard it was to do. You can have fun without being killed at the end of the day. And, um, you know, that's kind of the shift is as those people get old, the, the, uh, the OG, the bad, bl- the old blood, they're starting to have kids and stuff. And, you know, they're just not as interested. And so now it's time for, you know, I'm, I'm 27, but, you know, I'm stable enough, have stability to where I can, I can volunteer in a meaningful way now. And I think we're seeing at least locally, more of the young guys come in. It's kind of a shift to, to be a little bit more accepting of everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's great, you know. And you know the one thing I love about mountain biking, right? And this is where it differs for me because I grew up surfing. You know, I live right on the coast here. Um, we have great waves. I've been surfing for over 25 years or something silly. Um, but when... It gets crowded here. Now, the surf scene has seen the expanse like the mountain bike industry over COVID as well. You know, so there's a lot more people surfing now than there ever was. Like, it's Monday afternoon today. I was down there at one of my local beaches, and there's probably about 15 or 16 guys in. Now, two or three years ago, there would have been nobody in. You know, there's always somebody in the water. But the point I'm trying to make here um, is... When surfing gets crowded to a certain extent, it, it's not any fun anymore, right? Because you're all battling for the same waves. And now you've got mm. short borders, you've got long borders, you've got body borders, you've got SUPers, you've got kayakers, you've got windsurfers. Mm. So you've kind of six different types of people there battling for these waves. And then all of a sudden it becomes more of a, I don't know, a workout or a, I don't know. You want to take it to the beach sometimes, you know. But sure. with mountain biking, what I love is you don't get that. So you have e-bikers mixing with normal mountain bikers, mixing with the enduro crowd, mixing with the hardtails, mixing with gravel bikes now, all this kind of stuff. Like, are you seeing that in your scene? Are you seeing the scene change, people getting into it from different directions? Oh yeah, dude, a hundred percent. But you also, you know, one thing, and I don't know if this is mountain biking is is my sport. I'm not super. I do some climbing and I do some whitewater boating, but I'm not as in tune with those trends. But I think what we're kind of seeing as a whole um, is these riders being influenced by external factors and they have these assumptions when they come into the sport because they have followed hashtag mountain biking or hashtag enduro and so oh this is what i need to look like i need this super expensive helmet with only this brand of goggles and then let's make sure my bike has carbon wheels because everybody's told me i have to have carbon wheels and i i I just i'm kind of worried the essence of it's going to get lost to where it's more about the experience and you know who cares if you look the part just get out there and ride bikes man you know like Mm -hmm. bring a cooler a beer sitting in the parking lot after um but i think that also comes with time you know i think all hobbies could say there's 
certain people that do them for the materialistic aspects, you know, like golf. The best looking dude out there is normally the worst player. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think you could kind of make that, you know, sometimes that happens at your local trailhead. I think a lot of people can relate to like the guy with the shiniest bike. Yeah, he's not riding. He, he's, he's not going to be the dude that beat you down the trail. But uh, I think over time that kind of shifts. Like it's just kind of the beginners trying to figure out the identity of it and kind of making it their mm-hmm. own too. Yeah. And I suppose it's maybe that aspect that's got them into it in the first place. You see these guys with in all the magazines and their social posts and everything's mm-hmm. new and sport. It's the best of everything. So maybe that's got them into it, you know, in a way it's encouraged the men, but um, they'll find out their own kind of clique once they're in there. Right. Yeah. I think that's the goal is just to, everybody wants to feel accepted. You know, that's one of, what do they say? Pavlov's uh, hierarchy of needs. Like at a certain <laughs> point, that's everybody wants to find their group. And it's really important to enable that. And I don't think exclusivity is the way to do that. You know, like some of the older guys want to say, oh, you've never built trail. You can't go ride bikes. Well, no, don't. Let's not, you know, it's important not to be pompous. Let's accept everybody. Because I think the phrase a rising tide floats all boats is super applicable in this situation. Mm. Um, but I'm curious with surfing because you can't surf everywhere, right? And there are only certain areas that mm-hmm. have good enough waves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like you can build waves. So no, does that no. mean it's just getting more crowded with yeah. where to go? Yeah, basically. Um, like, you see, we're spoiled here on the North Coast because the water's cold. You know, so okay. it's something that doesn't appeal to everybody. And um, surfing's quite a difficult sport. The progression curve on it's quite, quite steep. If you know what I mean, it's it's hard to get good quickly. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, most people kind of grow up riding a bike at some stage, and you know, so to take a bike from their playground, let's say when they were a kid, to get back on a bike ten years later or whatever, and go ride some pretty mellow trails most people can do that you know what i mean it's like the old saying you never forget how to ride a bike um surfing's very different in that to get good it does take a lot of commitment and a lot of wipeouts and a lot of cold sessions and a lot of sessions thinking to yourself why do i even bother trying to do this (laughs) (laughs) you know um but regards the crowds and the community you know it's the surf community here is amazing and that, well, I've grown up on it. So we all kind of know each other and the, the real core guys that live here, we know each other, you know, we've grown up together. Um, but yeah, it does become to that extent where if there's just too many people in the water, instead of you going in and maybe catching 15 or 20 waves, you're maybe only catching five or six. And then you've got guys dropping in on you and you know, mm. there's no, there's no etiquette surf. And I want to chat to you about etiquette and mountain biking because in surfing, there is no surf etiquette anymore, which blows me away because when I started surfing, there was no internet. There was yeah. nowhere you couldn't type in the computer surf etiquette or, and I don't even know how we learned surf etiquette. It was probably off the older guys that had surfed before us. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we, we kind of learned it through them because we all looked up to them and we respected them guys. But now 
I don't understand it. It's just like people feel that there is no rule. And I don't want to call it rules because it's not rules, but there's an etiquette that you, you have to kind of adopt when you go in the water. You don't drop in on somebody. You don't paddle in front of somebody when they're already paddling for a wave. This kind of stuff, you don't... If somebody's catching a wave, you don't paddle out street in front of them. You know, there's all these kind of things. But people just don't do it anymore. It's just a free-for-all. Like, with you seeing so many people and you being in the industry there so much for your guiding service and stuff and seeing loads of new riders on the trails you know is it something you embrace is it something you look forward to knowing that there may be this kind of behavior and awareness problem uh, you know so i've had this conversation and it seems like i have the unpopular opinion but i love it i love seeing all these people on their bikes uh but, but there's going to be growing pains mm. as such. And I think what we'll probably see is many more one and done. So somebody buys a bike and they don't ride it. And so they end up selling it a year later, never to get into the hobby again. Uh, mm. But I think let's, for, for simplicity's sake, if we had a 100% influx of riders for 2020, and only 10% stick around, that 10% is going to be a valuable addition to the community, and they're mm-hmm. going to learn the etiquette. It, mm-hmm. I think it comes with time. You don't send a YouTube video out to people and say, here's what you should do before your first mountain bike ride. Mm-hmm. I think if people come to, if they decide to be a part of the community, they'll figure that out. You know, But it's kind of hard when, when you've got all these people, it's their first time out there, what are they to expect? You know, this is kind of just, uh, they think it's a free for all. Um, and, and so I, I do think we will, we, and we have seen this influx of riders, which is great. Not all of them are going to stick around, but I do think many of them will. And those that do are going to be a valuable asset to the community because they'll learn, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of like everybody learns in groups. And if you're exposed to other groups that are doing things one way that you're not doing, and you know they've been around it longer, whether you like it or not, you're probably going to conform to those standards. And so mm-hmm. maybe that is the, the different etiquettes of don't descend while some dude is climbing up the same trail and bomb down there. Um, or it's one of those facts like if somebody's about to session this big jump, don't hang out on top of the jump that they're about to, to send. Um, and I think people will figure it out. We're just kind of seeing the growing pains. But do you, do you think that'll stick around in surfing? Do you think these people will stick around or it's kind of them trying it and then they'll weed themselves out over time? Yeah, I think in, in surfing, I think you will see a drop off. Um, but surfing's very similar to mountain biking, I think. And once you get into it and once you get hooked, you're in it for a lifetime. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, surfing's very like that. There's not a massive percentage of people even though i was saying there i'm kind of contradicting myself here but i was chatting about it you know you need a bit of stay power to keep at it and get actually good but i think that there's a small percentage of people that give up surfing after they've been at it over a certain while and i think Mm -hmm. i think we will see some people dropping out just because it's a bit of a hassle to go surfing you know and it takes half a day to do it properly kind of thing so we okay. may see we may see a, a fallout but i think the advantage mountain biking 
has over surfing from the crowd aspect of things, if you want to call and you people getting into a crowd, is that you can have a car park full of mountain bikers, but once you get up the mountain and get spread out, it doesn't seem that busy. Yeah, that's true. You know, a little bit like snowboarding or skiing or whatever. Now, there'll be certain kind of choke points, obviously, that are busy, but once you get spread out and you go your own direction, um, you know, it it doesn't seem busy. Like, one of our local trails here that just got built not so long ago there, um, it's council council built and developed and stuff and it's been a natural trail for a number of years but they've just put more man kind of you know proper trails for greens and blues and stuff and now you can go the car park at weekends is overfilling you have to park out on the street but once you get into the trails yes you meet guys but nobody's in anybody's road or anything it's all very cool but in the car park you would think to yourself oh man this is going to be crowded up here you know (laughs) yeah sure sure well and and i think Luckily, with this activity of mountain biking, we can just build more trails <laughs> and we can spread people out. And so yeah. access is a really important part that one of the best ways to get access is just to have tons of demand. And we're getting that now. And so hopefully that can convince these municipalities and these governments to say, hey, this is a this is an activity. And then selfishly, we build all these trails for new riders and they leave. Boom, we've got more trails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but your trail, your network up there is pretty amazing, right? You've got like 150 plus miles of single track and stuff. Uh, yeah, man, we're, we're real lucky to have uh, a unique situation where the, the city of Knoxville, the, the mayor, she is a mountain biker. Wow. And that has just really helped build a... Uh, a very much uh what's the word for it like a a system that over the years you know we add a few miles every year but there's a community that is dedicated to it and so it's been a decade of building trails you're adding 10 a year and then before you know it after 10 years you've got 100 miles of trail Mm. and uh it's very grassroots here and that's one of my favorite parts there tends to be this weird thing happening right now in other parts of the usa where certain cities are building the trails before anybody even wants to ride them and they're saying we're the mountain biking capital of the world and mm. then you go ride there and like no you're not you know it, you gotta i think it's a gradual process yeah and it just takes dedicated individuals over a certain amount of times to to make thoughtful additions and thoughtful trails and you've got to have the government on your side like city city government plays a huge role in the fact that we have over 100 miles of trail within our city limits um, it's kind of unique, but it's a trust that happens over a certain number of years too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, we're seeing in Ireland, we're seeing a number of trails popping up, all kind of council. Not all of them, most of them all council developed. You know, so your your rates awesome. go into building the trails basically, and um, mm-hmm. so you never see anything out of your own pocket kind of thing. So the council's getting really on the back of it, and I know that's the case in the north now in the south of ireland here um it's kind of the same uh they just got a big 10 million euro grant to build new trails down there Mm. so they're really seeing it as something that's good for the the local community good for local people get out in nature get a bit of fitness good for local bike stores but they're also seeing it here as bringing 
people in from elsewhere. So a destination to actually come and ride your bike, which is sure. amazing. You know, it's, yeah. they're looking into the future. Like, it's, it's pretty cool to see that happening. And, uh, like, you as a professional bike guide there, um, like, what kind of new riders are you seeing coming on the trails? Is it families, young, old? Like, what are you noticing? Yeah, so so in particular, the reason I started this company was to cater towards people that are traveling here in order to mountain bike. So uniquely, I'm not guiding beginners on mountain bike trails. Uh, that's not something I'm interested in. Um, but if we have this group of, like last week, I had a group of four guys that were on a mountain bike road trip. And they saw that Knoxville has a ton of variety and a whole bunch of mileage, but nobody wants to get stuck climbing the downhill trail or going out on this long XC loop and then getting lost. So Mm -hmm. my goal is to kind of maximize people's time while they're here. And I'm seeing a lot of affluent clients that are willing to pay for a better experience. They -hmm. don't want to get lost. They've only got half a day here and they've heard about these trails, but they don't want to do the research that goes into it. And so it's kind of like what I try to simulate is when you show up to your local trail center and then you find a local and the local says, Hey, I'll show you around that. That is what I want to be, but you just call me ahead of time and I'll meet you there and I'll show you all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes total sense to me. And because I would prefer to hook up with somebody like yourself pay for it and make sure and maximize my time there getting the best trails not missing trails or not stopping every 10 minutes to look at a map or something to figure out where i'm at you know it's a waste of time and i'll tell you a, a quick story me and a few of my friends we went to utah i've got a friend very good friend lives in utah nice and we went there snowboarding for a couple of weeks and we done six different different um mountains and resorts you know but we ran mm-hmm. into a couple of locals at one of them and we got chatting and they said have you been to such and such it's off piste it's kind of like a black black diamond black double diamond off piece stuff and we're like no we haven't done it and they said follow us and we just spent half the day with them and it was amazing dude yeah that sounds awesome you know, and there's no way we would ever have found that stuff. We wouldn't have had the, we wouldn't have had the, we just wouldn't have known where we were. We wouldn't have had the confidence to do it on our sale or by ourselves, but because we could follow them, it was just amazing. Yeah. And, and I think that just happens, you know, as a local, you, you find out these spots and you get really prideful about your local digs. And so I like showing them off to people and you want to make sure they have the best time here so they can tell other people because I just love riding these trails so much. I want to share it with other people and help them have a super cool time. And then, hey, there's actually there's a taco joint off of this trail. So when we go here, (laughs) we're going to stop and eat a taco in the middle of our ride because we can. And, uh, you know, like those places don't always show up on Google and Uh it's. I think it's important to build a culture of it and like make a day of adventure rather yeah. than just let's go out and ride the one blue jump line over and over. I don't think that's what it's all about. Let's go. Yeah, we can ride that trail because it's great. But let's also go explore on this super cool trail that's not on a map 
And then I'll show you where we come out at because we can go swim in a waterfall or we can go drink a beer there. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. the, it's the full experience. You know, I don't yeah. want it to be like a, you show up, you ride these trails and then you leave. You know, I, I, yeah. there's some stuff that normal people don't know about. And I want to share that with people. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Have you had, um, as far as your guiding company goes, have you had any inquiries from beginners kind of wanting to book guided rides? I have, Gareth, and and this is like something that maybe I can get some feedback from some of your listeners. I don't know how to handle it. So I basically, my situation is I have a full-time job, and then Mm -hmm. this this is what I do on the side. And... For me, I don't have to host all these people. So, like, I'm not dying to pay the bills because I've got a full-time yeah. job. And so I can kind of be picky about what I do. And I'm not saying I just reject people based off of, like, oh, you ride a hardtail? I'm not showing you around. You know, that's not it. But, mm. you know, one of my first times, I was, like, I was marketing on a huge level, like, everywhere to where there was really no barrier to entry. And dude, I had these people show up and it started with, she had her purse while riding. He had the bars turned backwards. (laughs) The other person had a helmet on backwards. So it looked like a unicorn, you know, like the back of it was facing forward. And dude, they couldn't pedal the bike. I I was like teaching them balance. And you can't pay me enough to do that. I'm not interested in... (laughs) Yeah. In, in showing them how to not just fall off of the climb trail. That, that's not worth my time. And, no. Uh, so it's kind of like a fine adjustment to how I market to these people. And then what do I tell them when I say, yeah, like I'll show you around, but I want to make sure that we at least get to the top of the trail so we can descend. You know, I don't want it to take an hour to get to the this 300 foot climb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's not fun for them either. No, certainly not. It's it's difficult, you know, and I think with beginners getting into the sport or, you know, getting interest in it, I think one of the biggest offputs for them, from what I've kind of learned through talking to people on the podcast and probably more so females and girls and younger girls wanting to get into it, they feel it's quite clicky. You know what I mean? Okay. That they're an outsider and okay. they feel out of, because they're new, they don't really know what they're doing. They feel that, you know, guys are going to laugh at them and all this kind of thing and that they're going to be told to stay off the trails. You know, you're not good enough. Whereas it's the absolute opposite, isn't it? Right? Like us guys that are out quite often, if we see somebody in trouble or somebody stand at the side of a trail with their hands in their head, we're going to stop and see if they're <laughs> yeah. okay. And we all want to see more females getting into the sport, right? Like, it's cool. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's difficult, I think, for guys like yourself, because obviously that isn't your market as beginners. They should really be going to somebody that coaches, you know, rather than guides. Um, But it's funny because I think we need to kind of break this this barrier down somehow and make make us guys a lot more approachable or the whole scene seem mm-hmm. more approachable even though it is but from the outside it doesn't look that way because like you were saying earlier we all dress differently we all have baggy shorts on we all yeah, have cool yeah. we all have cool bikes 
you know what I mean? And someday arriving to the trailhead with a crappy bike, wearing a pair of Nikes, you know, with, I, I don't know, you know, with out a helmet or whatever. It's just yeah. a bit weird for them, you know, and if they feel an outsider. Like, what do you think about that? Do you think, is there any way we can help with that? You know, I think that's that's a great question uh, because there does seem, and and this may be self-imposed too. So I don't want, you know, like these beginners, they come in and maybe they see this elitism and this clickiness that they don't feel welcome to. But with that being said, it's important that uh, they they kind of just be confident with it too and, and, and step in with open arms because you can build it up in your head all you want. Um, and it's easy to say, oh, those three dudes talking to each other, I can't go talk to them. Um, but you kind of got to own it too. Nobody's going to hold your hand. And if you go out, you're bound to see somebody that you feel comfortable. They're also got Nike socks on and, and they've got <laughs> their helmet on backwards. And this dude is, is super lost. You know, like we can all bond over something because it's, it's, it, everybody's at a very different level. Yeah. I don't, I don't think diversity is the right word because I think this sport still needs to work on that. Mm-hmm. But as far as skill levels, it's all over the board when you go out there. And I think just persistence, you know, like sticking with it yeah, and it'll work out. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure like a coach, I think that's a huge part of it. Or social media is also a great platform for, <laughs> we've got a, a, a Facebook page here that's, <laughs> it's called pathetic mountain bikers. And it's like <laughs> everybody that is owning the fact that they are beginners, they all come together and they form their group rides. And it's so awesome seeing the solidarity that they get where they can team up with other people that have only been riding since COVID. And over time, you ride with a whole bunch of different people. And hopefully those that you click with, you can save their number. And then there's your riding partner when you want to go out with Mm -hmm. a mate after work. Yeah. No, very true. Very true. Yeah, it's just about getting out there and getting into it, right? You know, and it's a beautiful thing. You can ride as a group to a certain extent with different levels. There's cheat lines. There's all this stuff available for everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, but certainly you don't want to. Like, I've had some, you know, some crazy stories on the podcast where, you know, a girl gets interested in it and she goes out with her boyfriend because that's how most girls get into it is through their boyfriends, right? Good point, uh, yeah. And uh, the guys are like, like, there was one girl, no joke, the first bike she ever stepped on was a downhill bike. Oh. And the guy, you know, the boyfriend just said, ah, it's a, you know, no, he's an, an awesome rider. And he just said, yeah, it's a red trail, but you'll be okay. Just follow me down. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, you're going to hear stories like that, you know, and I think it puts some people off, but it's very true what you say. You have to, you have to do it yourself. You have to have a bit of confidence in yourself. You have to go out there and just get stuck in and, and mix among these people. And before you know it, you'll have a bunch of riding buddies and you'll have forgotten about that side of things, you know? Yeah. And, and just to make sure it's, it's an organic way of it happening too. You don't want to force all these groups together, but, and you don't want to require, you don't want to feel obligated to reach out to this guy because he's faster. You know, you, you over time, you, you will find your mates and, and 
I've also noticed <laughs> as a whole, and I think a lot of people can agree with this, one of the best ways to also get fast and get in shape is trying to follow people that are obviously faster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's a fine balance to where it's also not just about your, your fitness level. Be, be an outgoing individual and find those other outgoing individuals. Or if you're an introvert, you'll, you'll be attracted to other introverts. You know, it's not about the writing. It's about finding people that you mesh well with. And um, I've really enjoyed doing that as a mountain bike guide. I'll have locals that call me and they'll, they'll say, I've been riding for a year now. And I think I'm, and it goes one of two ways. I think I'm ready for a nicer bike or B, I want to learn some of the other trails. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry if you hear that noise in the background. That's Neighbors right. going a little crazy. So <laughs> these, uh, these locals show up and basically... I be as accepting as I can and and they say where should I go what's the best bike shop or what bike should I get and I just want to make them like their comments are notable and I want to make them feel accepted in the community and then if I know somebody that they would click well with let me connect them or what's this you know let what's this Facebook page where I've seen a lot of people come from and bond well uh and and trying to just enable that if I can, but there's a lot of different variables involved too. Yeah, yeah, totally is. But I think what we're trying to say is that we are approachable. We're not these <laughs> unapproachable dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, just because you're coming out in your rigid twenty-year-old rigid mountain bike, we're not going to say no. You can't ride these trails. <laughs> well, dude, and what I love to say is, at the end of the day. We're a whole bunch of grown adults riding book bikes in the woods. Don't take yourself too serious, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a good way of looking at it, actually, right? Yeah, let's not overcomplicate what we're doing. Like, we're just Pass. playing in the woods like kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, I know you're involved quite heavily there in the trail building side of things, and you're the trail coordinator for one of your local clubs there. I just want to ask you, uh, before we get into that, because of the pandemic and more people getting into the sport, have you seen more rubbish on your trails? Uh, like, like litter on the side of the trails? Yeah. Not really. I don't, I don't think that's something I have really come to notice. Okay. Uh, that's good. But we're, we've got a unique situation to where, you know, maybe some of these trails, some of the more popular trails are right off of a car park or a parking lot with mm. like actual facilities so there's like bathrooms and okay. and trash cans because i don't in in my thoughts i don't think people deliberately litter i think in many cases like it's falling out of their shirt or it's popping off of their bike um but if you if you put those resources close to people it's it's the uh the, the path of least resistance so put five trash cans on their way out of the trails and they're going to put their trash in there. Mm. Um, you just kind of have to, you can't just build the trail and expect it to maintain itself. You have to be conducive to all the users Yeah, and you have to make it easier for people to do the right thing. Because if you get them out in the middle of a field and it's mud everywhere, you know, they're going to associate it with that. Nobody cares about it. But if, if you show that you're putting a lot of thought into the riders, in many cases, they'll reciprocate that where I think, Mountain bikers in general are very aware of their surroundings and, and tend to be very thoughtful 
like any outdoor sport, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you've got to make sure that you allow them to practice that and, and you're not just like leaving it as a free for all. Yeah, definitely. We've seen a certain increase in, in rubbish on trails. Um, now, whether it's from the mountain bikers or the walkers or who knows, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's a good point. I've often thought about the scenario of at certain points in the trails, you know, at the top of a climb or something or areas where you would just naturally stop for a quick breather or to eat a quick banana or take a drink or something that we maybe should have rubbish bins there, trash cans there in those areas, you know. Um, but just whether the deers would break into them at the night and the squirrels would break in and eat yeah. them. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, what I don't know what the answer is and who empties those too, because nobody wants exactly. to hike in and carry trash bags out. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's some, but I think, you know, as more people use the trails, it'll be interesting to see if that's something we do need to think about in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's something we maybe can do, if more people are using them, then there's maybe a better case to have. Maybe somebody go up there every couple of times a week or something and, and tidy stuff out or whatever. But So what, what we do... Um, and I'm not sure how plugged in you are, but if you've got a good relationship with the city, um, typically they'll have like a, a parks department mm-hmm. and in our city, there is from 8am to noon lunchtime, there's a designated crew from the city. That's what they do every Monday morning is they go out and they pick up stuff from the weekend. They mow the pump track. They, they do the minimal amount of maintenance to keep things going. Uh, and then the mountain bike club is doing the more intensive things. But, uh, you know, it could be something if you get a good relationship with a city council member or, or have, have good insights into those people that make things happen. Uh, a lot of the times you can make an easy case of we've got this many trail users. We've got so many people coming from out of state or out of province, wh- whatever the situation may be over there in Europe. Um, and then, you know, it's a simple ask of if you want people to be impressed with your city, here's what you need to do to make sure it's held up to that high standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea. We have, uh, well, I suppose you could call them park rangers. Um, okay. but the maintenance side of things is more down to kind of our local mountain bike community will have trail maintenance days and things like that which are organized through mountain bike ni um and but the the numbers that show up to do that are quite small you know you it's very surprising that there's not as many people show up and actually help um, maintain the trails and lift rubbish or whatever's required Mm -hmm. but i think as more people get into it it's something certainly we should see increase i think um and that that side of things like when you got into trail building like what what involvement did you want to get involved in and in, in that side of things like what made you interested in wanting to get involved in the trail building for me it was a very gradual process so i didn't yeah. i didn't just step into a leadership role immediately um, because i i think you kind of have to learn the ropes and, and, and slowly work your way into things. And for me, it was starting off as I would just show up to the work days on the one Saturday a month. And I was in university at the time and I had no money and the mountain bike club would provide lunch. And so that was my incentive 
on the first Saturday of every month. I know there's a trail work day here and then they, they feed me lunch after. So I'm going to go do that. Yeah. And you do enough of those and, and like you start seeing the same people over and over and you form a relationship, you start riding with those guys and or girls and you kind of see the structure and the people that are actually making decisions. And for me, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to be involved, but I think it was important not to come in like a like a raging bull, you know, in a china shop. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to tastefully say, hey, I'm willing to take things on. And, uh, you know, when I started this mountain bike guide company, I, I started talking with these guys much more often. And so I kind of worked my way into it to where they felt they could trust what I was doing. And it's just been a gradual process. But not everybody has to be in a leadership position either, but donate one Saturday a year to where you can go out and, and kind of just go, go scrape a shovel around, clear some drains. And then you feel equity. You know, it's important. Again, like I said earlier, everybody feels involved. And Mm -hmm. if, if they're proud that they built that drain on this trail, they're going to tell other people about it. And it kind of just is a big, like an ecosystem. Yeah. So that's how I got started. Yeah. It's good. You know, it's good to give something back and it makes you feel good when you do it, when you, when you have a day of that behind you. Um, and it's funny when you come to that section of trail that you've helped maintain every time you ride it, you're like, you know, I helped maintain that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It could be a 75 year old woman walking in the woods and you're sure to tell her, Hey, look at this. That's me. I did that. yeah yeah it's it's crazy man but i think we all should get more involved it's it's good for the soul you know well and yeah it's there's really no downside and i don't think everybody it wants to be a leader in the mountain bike club but it's kind of one of those things like this 10 percent of riders that are going to stick around after all of this maybe just one percent of them get involved in the mountain bike club and that's one percent more than what we had in the first place yeah, and it just kind of has to progress. I don't think you have open auditions for mountain bike club trail coordinator. I think it needs to be <laughs> well thought out, and uh, you know the the vision is is steady. But yeah. I'm not saying it has to be the same as it was five years ago either. But you got to know the different functions of how to build a trail and the stakeholders, and there's just a lot more to it. Yeah, certainly. Like I know one of the nice things the guys do with us is we're one of my local places here, Dava, it's a climb to the top, you know. There's no there's no uplifts or anything like that. But okay. after half a day's working on the you know, the guys will give you a couple of uplifts in the back, they'll pick up and stuff. So you can oh, go cool. and you know, you can go and ride from the top down and, and back up again kind of thing. Um which is quite cool at the end of the day. You know, a lot of people go like, No, I'm too wrecked, I can't I can't do it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but it's always nice to have that option. It's cool. Is that only for people that have helped build the trail that morning? Yeah, so that would only be for the guys that have helped, you know, maintain the trails. Um, I think that's a great idea. Incentivize yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know, the guys that you've, and a lot of the time you don't know the guys that you've been digging with, and and you know, spending half your day with and eating lunch with, and then you go to get up, you go to get, you go get taken up the top of the the mountain and you ride down together it's cool man it's so cool yeah it's so uh you know it's kind of full circle you started out on the trail that morning and then you get to finish riding it in Mm -hmm. a unique way i think that's a really good idea yeah it's cool it's cool um so let's chat a little bit about your knoxville outdoor tours guiding company um like we know why you want to start it like how long have you been doing it 
Yeah, so I I actually officially went into business of February 2020. Really? And in March of 2020, the whole world changed. And so, yeah, last year was a super challenging year. Um, there was a lot of, because what I do is, and what I hinted at earlier, it's, it's very tourism heavy. Yeah. And there was virtually none across the entire world. And uh, so last year was a lot of figuring out what works and, and learning how to run a business. And then this year, like we've had a, a big year already. So it's exciting to, to see this come back around. Um, and basically I was just, I, I, I've known I've wanted to start a business for forever uh i I don't want to i'm an entrepreneurial type Mm -hmm. and i knew we had the trail system to support this and it was relatively uh low capital and it was very scalable that was a big part for me is to uh, i want to be able to grow this and and but also be passive because i've got Mm -hmm. a full-time job too so uh, yeah i've got a crew of Right now, I've got two solid mountain bike guides for me that mm-hmm. are super stoked to get paid to ride their bikes. And uh, so they kind of handle the stuff through the week and on some of the weekend trips. And uh, basically, I'm just trying to get processes in place to where we can make sure customer service stays really high. Um, but also at the same time, just trying to get as many rides out there as we can and just kind of grow this thing and, and see what it can become. Yeah. And your guides, um, do you kind of outsource them as and when needed? So ideally, I'm bringing these guys on and they will do most of the rides. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea would be no matter what, I will say, hey, we've got a ride going out tomorrow at 9 a.m. I've got a big group message. I'll put you know, here's how much I'm paying for this one. Who wants it? And whoever replies first, then we kind of take it offline. I'd say, hey, be here, here. I've got all the stuff ready for you. Um, and then once the ride is wrapped up, I've I've been able to trust these guys. Like my my biggest thing when I interview guys is I just go on a mountain bike ride with them. And I don't ask interview questions. I just see how they are as people. Yeah. And so far, my gut feelings have worked out and they've been great additions um because you know it's really important that a they're super personable so we've got to make sure the clients are super stoked about the time and that these guys these guides can talk to anybody that's Mm -hmm. a super important part of this because people are coming from all over the country and everybody's a little different so you have to be able to relate uh but also your guide cannot be the bottleneck for how fast these guys want to go so it's really important that they're fast and proficient riders um, and some are faster than others. And so what I'll do, like, if I know it's more of a beginner type of group, then I'll put, uh, maybe the guy that isn't as technically savvy of a rider, but I know he's in shape and I'll put him with him. And mm-hmm. that kind of, the idea is to make this more of like a, a feeder system to where I've got these beginner guides that hopefully will graduate to be able to run some of these expert groups, because whenever, you know, I'm a coach too. So if guys come in and they just want to ride super fast, then those are the ones I'll take. And, and I want these guys to eventually work up to that point, but it's important. They're totally dialed when they do that too. Cause you don't, yeah. want, you don't want your guy getting in a wreck or something. You know, it's not a good look. Not a good image. No, no, 
definitely not. No, and your guide almost has to be a better rider than most people there, which is, I don't know, it's just something you expect almost. Well, you don't pay for something for it not to be exceptional. Yeah. And you have to provide the best possible experience. And, and a lot of the times, these clients are paying for the service that is not cheap, and they want to ride with somebody that is an outstanding rider because sometimes they'll just say, Oh, can you, that would, you, you can hit that. Oh, that's super cool. I want to <laughs> see, can you do that? And you know, you got, you need to be able to do that or you need to be able to do cool tricks and for people to be stoked that they're getting the ride alongside of you sort of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what kind of trails do you use in your guiding packages? Tell us a little bit, a bit about what, what trails you have there and what they're like. Sure. Yeah. So one of my favorite parts of here in Eastern Tennessee is we've got a little bit of everything. Um, and so we've got this one place called Baker Creek, which tends to get a lot of attention because it's the super modern flowy jump trail that we've all seen really blow up over the last two or three years. And it's a super easy climb to the top. And then basically you've got multiple runs off of the top depending on your, your difficulty level. So that's kind of like, that is the, Hey, this is the easy stuff. Let's go ride it, get you stoked on it, get you warmed up. And then, you know, one Ridge over those trails have a totally different personality to where it's gnarly Mm. rock gardens and straight downhill. Uh, and then we'll go over another Ridge and then we've kind of got long, long single track through the woods. So Really, we could cater our rides based off of what the rider is looking to get. Some guys want to hammer out mileage at, you know, a 12 mile an hour pace Mm. and we can do that. But then, you know, we get like the classic park rats that want to shuttle the jump lines the whole time, which we could totally do that too. Yeah. Uh, So you can kind of cater to what your clients want. You can kind of make a bespoke package for them. That's exactly the idea. So what we do is a custom catered package to every single rider. Uh, They'll tell me their favorite trail that they've ridden before, some of the other places that they really enjoyed. And I've ridden in a lot of different places. And in many cases I can say, okay, what are the similarities between these places they're telling me they like to ride at? And then I'll put that into a, a, a trail map or I'll make a GPX file and then I'll pass that off to my guide. And that's going to be the ride for the day. And then if the people are into it, that's great. If, the rocks are harder than they thought then you know we can adjust it back a little bit Mm. uh it's not like uh in many trail systems you're on a dedicated trail for 10 or 15 miles uh whereas here it's not really like that you can kind of jump off and and go in a certain direction to get a different trail flavor and so i'm really trying to leverage that with these clients and kind of give them whatever they're looking for yeah that's cool like i always thought a guiding business would be quite hard to get the rider's ability level correct, you know, and I suppose that's really down to your guide and your guide will have to be able to see that and think and say maybe, oh, well, maybe this next session's a wee bit too much for these guys. We'll maybe go this route instead. Do you find that kind of thing or is that hard to kind of judge? Uh, No, that's a very valid, very valid point. And that's one of the a big criteria to train these guides to do is to be able to read with their own, their own eyes, what this rider level is, because mm. it, it kinds, there tends to be a little overconfidence in some cases. Uh, <laughs> yeah. where, 
<laughs> these guys have ridden the, their local black trails, uh, you know, back in uh, somewhere else. And then they come here and the black trails are totally different. Yeah. And, you know, what I like to do is I've kind of got like a, you've got your trail filters. So you tell yourself, okay, if they can make it down this run, then they're going to feel good to go up a notch. But if they're uncomfortable here, then the ride needs to go in a different direction. And so you're right. You, you kind of have to pivot on the ride, but at the same time, you got to make them, you can't tell them that they're not as fast as they said they are. So, <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta roll with the punches and, and make those adjustments and be confident in those adjustments to where you want them to have the best time out here. Mm. And cause you, you could tell when somebody's out of their comfort zone and, and maybe if they're not as fit as they said they were, uh, they're not having a good time. And that means they're going to leave you a bad review. And they're not going to tell other people to come out and ride Knoxville because it was too hard for them. So if, if you want them to have a good experience, because that's what it's all about, is getting people stoked on the bike, then you have to be able to, you know, cater and get away from maybe that that gpx file sometimes mm -hmm. um, and and make those gut feelings and have the confidence that they're going to like those changes you make yeah yeah for sure because it's all about having fun right it's about enjoying yourself having a bit of fun a lot of these people don't don't want to go out there and bust themselves you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean and that from a liability perspective that's the scariest thing that i can think of is somebody getting seriously injured yeah. and they have put their health in your hands and so you, you have to you have to take care of that and you have to respect that. Um, and so, you know, we've also, this past weekend, we had a guy, uh, we had a client who, who came in, he said, I've ridden a little bit, but I'm not super good. And so I just want to, I, I want to rent a really nice mountain bike. And then I want you to show me some of the, the other trails that I haven't ridden here before. And this dude showed up and cut off blue jeans and like a sleeveless tank top. <laughs> and he was a total ripper he was awesome yeah and so some people oversell themselves others do the opposite and this guy showed up and he just wanted to play in the woods and he was actually a super good rider he was super fit and it ended up being a great ride for the rider and and the guy that took him out they exchanged phone numbers at the end so they're gonna start wow. riding together wow that's cool, man. That's cool. Um, like from a liability standpoint, insurance and stuff like that, is that all included in the ride or do, do people have to have their own insurance? How does that work? No, I, I have a commercial insurance policy for bike tours and if all my costs are rolled up. So we do this super cool thing to where you pay uh, for either a guide. If you need a, a rental bike that is an extra charge, we'll roll that up to you. Um, and then everything else is paid for. So we're providing all the nutrition on our ride. Uh, we're, we're providing, um, all the parts you may need. If you get a flat, we're prepared. We've got tubes, we've got extra CO2s. Uh, and then the best part is we also provide like a sort of local craft beer on the ride, wow, whatever, okay. whatever maybe the client wants to do. Cause that seems to be a big part of the cycling culture <laughs> is beer. And yeah. I don't think I've ever had somebody turn down a beer after a long climb and you're hanging out at the top, you know, that beer never tasted so good. And, <laughs> so yeah, it's a one and done pay up front. We take care of the rest for you. Yeah. We just, we tell you where to show up and then you don't worry about a thing. Cool, man. Do you, do you have a support vehicle or anything like that? Uh, so I've, I've got 
the truck that hauls our bikes around um and it's fully stocked with everything we need but uh if if ideally if we needed something that we didn't have in our guide pack so we carry like a big backpack with with hopefully everything we could ever need Mm. um but if we don't uh ideally and something i've had to do in the past let's say um somebody needed that their sugar dropped out because they were hung over from the night before uh and you got to run down to the truck and like get proper electrolytes for them um luckily our trails are all pretty like i said they kind of fold over each other in a lot of cases and so in this in some instances we've had the guide who thankfully was in super good shape could sprint back to the truck and then be back at the client in 15 or 20 minutes with anything that we weren't prepared for. Wow. And so that's how we've handled it so far. Um, I'm kind of looking into growing it more, whether Mm -hmm. that means a shuttle service or uh, a race series. But right now I don't, I don't have many assets, which is proving to be a positive for the time being, because I, I, you know, I, I don't have any liabilities. So Mm-hmm. everything i do is is paid for debt free and that allows me some flexibility in the business yeah yeah for sure now just talking about the future of it um you said that you were it was it was scalable um when you mentioned that like how how do you think it's scalable or how are you planning to do that in the near future that's a good question yeah and i think where that happens is identifying more uh cities with excellent trail systems and more of like a franchising sort of thing to where somebody shows up and and they ride a city and i don't want to give away my cities i've got as prospects right now but we've got all these underserved markets that have great trail systems and people are traveling there to ride bikes uh and ideally if they've ridden with me before and i recommend oh you got to go ride at this city too um, call, call our shop over there and they'll hook you up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so the idea is that this could be grown and, and me tapping on those locals in those areas to, to run the show more or less. Uh, and then that is kind of one of those things where, again, I wouldn't have much capital because the way this would work so well is that it's all marketing. And yeah. as long as you've got a fleet of bikes and a super good lead guide that wants to run the show, uh, then it works and it makes money. So it needs to be sustainable first. So we got to keep working on Knoxville and make it run itself. Uh, but ideally, I think it would be super cool to uh, identify those other cities. And my wife and I move there, maybe establish the business, move on to another city, establish it again, and kind of just keep growing it and find good good employees to keep the show going. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is one of those things, if you have a really good customer feedback, word of mouth can help it grow so fast, you know, and especially with guys traveling from other areas. It's it's quite cool, you know, that um, if you have that customer feedback, that customer service dialed in really well, you know, your name will travel quite quickly. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and I think more so, uh, we have to normalize mountain bike guiding. Mm. So... You know, we talk about, I, I don't know how it is in Europe, but I would assume you have whitewater rivers, right? Like big, fast flowing rivers yeah, where yeah. people are boating down it. And it's almost the standard is you call a whitewater outfitter and you say, hey, they have these trips leaving at this and this time. Do you want a spot? And if you can make people think that, but 
for mountain biking destinations to where they're actually typing in mountain bike guide uh, Knoxville or mountain bike guide Atlanta, uh, wherever market they're going in. And if there's somebody there to provide that mountain bike guide service, um, you just kind of got to get it moving in people's head and, and make them know that's an option opposed to just getting on their favorite app and or Facebook group and saying, what's good here? Um, because like the best stuff people aren't going to tell you about willy nilly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. Like, are you still enjoying the guide service side of things? It's something you're still super passionate about. You've been in it for a year and you've come in and probably one of the hardest years ever in the history mm-hmm. of the planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, you know, it can only get better. Right. But is it something you, you would like to turn into your full-time gig? Is that, is that one of the areas you could almost expand to as well, having this your full-time planned kind of income? I'm not sure that is my end game. Uh, I really love running a business and I enjoy marketing a new idea and the operations that go into running a business. And ideally this continues to sustain itself and then I can move on to new ventures with my energy um, mm-hmm. and, and just like keep keep building new things. So I, I have really enjoyed the process of building a company and, and working through COVID and making adjustments. Uh, and then it's so liberating when you get a positive review on Google. It's those little things, t- people taking their time to tell you they enjoyed your service. Uh, it's It's been it's great to get that instant feedback and make people excited and give yeah. them positive energy and get them hooked. Uh, and so that's kind of where I see it is not being a full-time job, but continuing to grow it. And then on down the road, maybe expanding it, but while at the same time having other ventures um, to where I can still just do this for fun. Cause I, I don't know if I want to make my hobby, my career either. Yeah. That's a slippery slope can be yeah it works for some people but for others it can be a disaster yeah and so if if i can learn from this experience and you know if it makes money that's great uh but at the end of the day i'm learning knowledge how to run a business and then i've also made some wonderful friends and and been able to see how the mountain bike community works and and just continue to you know maybe double down on that. I, mm. I try, I tried racing pro that didn't go so well. And so <laughs> if, if I can try and, uh, you know, at least have a footprint in the industry forever and, and be super interactive. That's a plus for me. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Well, before I let you go, Alex, how can people find out more about Knoxville outdoor tours? How can they get in contact? Yeah, man. Uh, so yeah, Knoxville outdoor tours, uh, we're Knox, outdoortours.com and it's the same thing on all the social medias so at knox outdoor tours on instagram and and that's where we kind of showcase all things knoxville hopefully get people stoked to come ride um so far we've represented three countries so we're trying to grow that up hopefully we can get some some folks from across the pond to come check us out and ride knoxville one day ride pisgah the next yeah cool so we're right there by it excellent well listen alex thanks so much for coming on the show it's been great to chat to you and get your uh your knowledge around what's happening in knoxville there and it sounds amazing there like you know it's it sounds like you're having a blast and that's the main thing 
Yeah, dude. And and it, I think it's unique. Like there's not a lot of marketing that goes into Knoxville. And, and that's kind of what I'm really enjoying is, is the grassroots approach. And then when people come here, they keep coming back. So yeah. uh, it, it, that's kind of the best way for people to find out is just finding out themselves and then word of mouth, like you said earlier. So uh, thanks for the time today. I can I can get talking about bikes forever. So I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity. And uh, yeah, man, I can't wait to meet on down the road. Yeah, for sure. Um, I certainly will be over in the States at some stage. I've got a couple of very good friends over there. Um, so I will be over. And this time I'm taking my bike. I've never mountain biked over there, but I will. I will in the near future. So I'll, I'll, for, I'll sure give you a shout from around your area. Dude, that would be wonderful. I know it's a it's a big country. So like Utah wouldn't. I'm not sure if that would work again. But uh, <laughs> I, I think we could probably make something work. And I appreciate your time today, Gareth. No problem. Well, good luck for the rest of the year, and um, I hope everything goes well for you. Yeah, man. Be well. Talk to you later. That's a wrap for episode 189. I hope you enjoyed that, folks, and I hope you enjoyed listening to Alex and what he's got going on there in Knoxville, Tennessee. It sounds amazing. The area is unbelievable. I would certainly advise you to go and have a look at his website and have a look at some of the images of the area out around there. The single track looks awesome and the the forest and the denseness of of the forests there just look amazing. It's so, so beautiful. So go and check that out when you have a minute or two. Now Alex, I just want to say thanks bud for coming on the podcast. I truly enjoyed chatting with you and um, you've got a lot going on there and I really hope it works out for you over this year and whatever you've got planned in the near future but I know you will you've got the right attitude you've got the right enthusiasm and uh, you'll just spread that all over your customers when they come in to you so it's great to see that kind of outlook on everything that's happening with the bike industry at the minute now folks if you want to know a little bit more about Alex and Knoxville Outdoor Tours just simply go to the show notes mtb-tribe.com you'll find links to all Alex's stuff there just easy links for you guys to access and a little bit more about what we chat about on the episode. Now if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to show your support the best way is by simply subscribing, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Every one of your ratings helps boost us on the old Apple's algorithms and help spread the good word about the show to more people. If you're not on Apple, you can find and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, or whatever podcast platform you listen to your shows on. We also have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete bike catalogue, listen, and download every show from there for free. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the podcast. You can find us on social media at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. You can PM me there or if you prefer the old-fashioned way, you'll find me via email at mtb-tribe.com. That's a wrap for this week, folks. That's all I have got for you. So until next week, get the bikes out, hit the trails and stay MTB stoked.